0: we're going to share our favorite dramatic readings from season one and two. Right, Alexis? Are we doing that? Mm -hmm. That's going to be fun. (laughs) I love our dramatic readings. And what I really love (laughs) is no one's ever commented like, this is cringy why are they so weird one person was like these terrible accents i finally feel seen and i was like oh this is great people get us thank you i feel seen thank you This is Alexis. And this is Kari.
1: You're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama.
0: Uh, Our dramatic readings are a little special part of our show that really show how uh, geeky we are Mm -hmm. and how awkward we are. Mm -hmm. And we love it. They'll be here forever. We'll always do dramatic (laughs) readings. So that's fun for us.
1: And we're going to share with you our favorites. New York is under an alien invasion and a young black girl is running a secret library to support a community looking for an escape when she notices a book missing from her hiding place. Finding out what happens to the book leads to a road trip that could save the world. The girl, Ellie, the book, The Sound of Stars. The speakers crackle again, reminding him that a human will die. The panic hits him in the center of his stomach. What if? It? It's Ellie. He connects to ill com while bounding up the nearly 20 flights of stairs as fast as his abilities allow. Human JQB-305-7-21, accused of illegal activities and paraphernalia. M01is closes his eyes, remembering Ellie's uniform and the number and frequency when he's stitched into the right collar. A wariness envelops him. It is Ellie. He tries to remain calm. We do not need to execute anyone. The vaccine is ready. Stop the execution. This is your commander. A true Alori voice cuts in. Maintain control until all are inoculated. Commander, An uprising now would be unwelcome, a general appointed by his father states with a hint of annoyance in his tone. There are not enough Elori troops within proximity. One incident may lead the path to many more. We have a functioning vaccine now. A fourth of the population have responded well to it. Only one death from a heart defect. Many more are already primed from the half solutions program. Only the younger humans are left. We want their obedience. Our numbers are decreasing out west, and we have fallen behind schedule. This display is necessary. Commander m one is. do you agree? The voice is from true Alori command, lurking somewhere above him at this very moment. m one us knows the answer he is supposed to give, but he can't. They can't take Ellie. She is. She can't die. You promised. He pushes through the crowd of guards wrapped in the darkness and chill of the night. He catches sight of Ellie just as she falls forward off the edge. He sprints across the rooftop, batting guards out of the way and jumps. Time slows, the rope will catch her and her neck will snap. He focuses on the threads of the rope, fractions of seconds ticking by as he focuses his mind and abilities, pulling string by string, thread by thread until the rope disintegrates and Ellie continues falling. But M-Zero Morris plummets faster, breaking the laws of Earth's nature through sheer will and draining his charge and scoops her from the air. He lands on his feet with her body draped in his arms. She stares up at him, swallowing air in short bursts. Wide-eyed, he holds her tighter. They will come for
0: them. His voice falls softly and he wipes away a tear that trails the side of his cheek. It's silver and unexpected. I think I may have wanted a brother more than mother wanted a soldier. Brixton, it's all Morse can say. We were always connected because of that little piece of myself I shared with you. I couldn't hear you unless you let me, and sometimes you did, but I could feel you. Always, he sniffs, looking away. Your despair with the vaccine, your guilt, endless guilt, Morris. Your joy whenever you listen to music, I think. And then your determination when you read that book. That's why art and expression were banned, not just for the humans, but for the lab mates. Feelings are powerful, I learned that from you. Brixton's brilliant green eyes lock on Morris. They can't be controlled by true alluring minds. You think we're almighty, but we need ill zero come to assert authority. We are connected to you. The connection goes both ways. If the lab mates knew what they are capable of. Morris brushes away his own tears, watery and so very human. I wanted a brother. I needed you. Would you have left if you knew the truth? Brixton steps toward him tentatively and then kneels before Morris in the sand. May I? Morris nods, although he doesn't know what Brixton asked for until he wraps his arms around Morris' shoulders and lets out a deep breath. Humans do this, yes? Yes, Morris whispers as his body collapses against his brothers. One day, Brixton says, we will be free.
1: At Manor Farm, the animals feel mistreated and overworked. The animals have had enough of the miserable conditions and decide they need to take the lead and provide themselves a more comfortable life. With dignity, one animal rises to take the lead. His name, Napoleon. The book is Animal Farm. (laughs) These three had elaborated old Majors' teachings into a complete system of thought, to which they gave the name of animalism. Several nights a week, after Mr. Jones was asleep, they held secret meetings in the barn and expounded the principles of animalism to the others. At the beginning, they met with much stupidity and apathy. Some of the animals talked of the duty of loyalty to Mr. Jones, whom they referred to as Master, or made elementary remarks such as, Mr. Jones feeds us. If he were gone, we should starve to death. Others asked such questions as, Why should we care what happens after we are dead? Or, If this rebellion is to happen anyway, what difference does it make whether we work for it or not? And the pigs had great difficulty in making them see that this was contrary to the spirit of animalism. The stupidest questions of all were asked by Molly, the white mare. The very first question she asked Snowball was,
0: Will there still be sugar after the rebellion?
1: No said Snowball firmly. We have no means of making sugar on this farm. Besides, you do not need sugar. You will have all the oats and hay you want.
0: And shall I still be allowed to wear ribbons in my mane?
1: asked Molly. Comrade, those ribbons that you are so devoted to are the badge of slavery. Can you not understand that liberty is worth more than ribbons? Molly agreed, but she did not sound very convinced.
0: It's the early 1900s and one quiet woman lives a happy life with her happy husband on a beautiful farm in Iowa. All is as it should be until a single act of betrayal puts her at odds against everyone she knows and trusts. That woman's name is Margaret Stewart. The book is Remembering Laughter. In the lamplight, Alex's face looked
1: ghastly. The eyes ring darkly and the lips touch faintly with blue getting to look like a drunkard, said Margaret's hissing mind, and bring it in here for the boy to see. Without a word, in the uncomfortable silence that hung over the table, Alec reached out for the dish Elsa passed, helped himself, and started to put it down. Then, while the eyes of Malcolm were bent in the embarrassment on the food he was eating, while Margaret was burning behind her mask with the old violence that would never down, while Elspat was rigid with the terror that came upon her when the tension of unspoken and hoarded wrong was in the air, while all three thought him drunk and reacted to that belief. Alec died instantly. The dish dropped to the table. His body fell forward across the corner of the board, tipping it, and as the two women sprang up, Alex slid sideways, pulling the tablecloth and dishes down upon himself, and Malcolm leaped with a strangling cry to his uncle's side. Minnie, running in from the kitchen at the crash, saw Margaret and Elspeth standing stiffly, their mask off now. Margaret's hand against her mouth to stifle a scream, Elspeth whimpering through contorted lips and before them the wrecked table and Malcolm bending over his uncle's body. Malcolm's head turned. Help me, he said. With many helping, he carried Alec to the broad leather settee in the parlor, the two aunts trailing like sleepwalkers behind. There, after a frenzied five minutes of feeling for posts in the stiffening wrist, Malcolm turned abruptly and ran outside. The three women stood silently in the gloomy parlor, and the bleakness of the house seeped upon them as heavy as a black fog. Across the noise of Minnie's crying, the two sisters looked at each other, their eyes meeting frankly for the first time in 18 years. Alec died at the dinner table while being passed a dish of potatoes.
0: I wonder if they ate the potatoes. <laughs>
1: An eccentric young man is forced to find a job after his mother has a car accident and risk losing the family home. The man, Ignatius Riley. The book, A Confederacy of Dunces.
0: The factory is a large bond-like structure that houses bolts of fabric, cutting tables, massive sewing machines, and furnaces that provide the steam for the pressing. In my innocence, I suspected that the obscene jazz issuing forth from the loudspeakers on the walls of the factory was at the root of the apathy which I was witnessing amongst the workers. The psyche can be bombarded only so much by these rhythms before it begins to crumble and atrophy. Therefore, I found and turned off the switch which controlled the music. This action on my part led to a rather loud and defiantly boorish roar of protest from the collective workers who began to regard me with sullen eyes. So I turned the music on again, smiling broadly and waving amiably in an attempt to acknowledge my poor judgment and to win the workers' confidence. Obviously, continual response to the music had developed within them an almost pavlovian response to the noise a response which they believed was pleasure having spent countless hours of my life watching those bloody children on television dancing to this sort of music i knew the physical spasm which it was supposed to elicit and i attempted my own conservative version of the same on the spot to further pacify the workers I must admit that my body moved with surprising agility. I am not without an innate sense of rhythm. My ancestors must have been rather outstanding at jigging on the heat. Ignoring the eyes of the workers I shuffled about beneath one of the loudspeakers, twisting and shouting mumbling insanely go, go baby do it. Hear me talking to ya. Wow. I knew that I had recovered my ground with them when several began pointing to me and laughing I laughed back to demonstrate that I too shared their high spirits my downfall occurred literally my considerable system weakened by the gyrations especially in the region of the knees at last rebelled and i plummeted to the floor in a senseless attempt at one of those egregiously perverse steps which i had witnessed on the television so many times The workers seemed rather concerned and helped me up, most politely, smiling in the friendliest fashion. I realized then that I had no more to fear concerning my faux pas in turning off their music.
1: With five Grammy Awards, 10 American Music Awards, 15 Billboard Music Awards, and other noteworthy accomplishments, this Hall of Fame songwriter shares the moments that matter. The songwriter, Mariah Carey. The book, The Meaning of Mariah Carey. I never knew who was listening, so I whispered to the brat, want to go get some french fries? In any other reality, This would have been a mundane suggestion, but in mine, it was about to be a full-scale caper. As we emerged from the closet, I put my finger to my mouth and pointed at the wall, giving her the signal to be quiet and follow my lead. I chirped on about showing her around the rest of the property, then announced that I wanted to quickly show her the cars. We skipped along to the garage. Inside, there were a fleet of cars. Several of them were mine most of which I never drove, in part because I was always being driven. I pointed at the black Mercedes convertible and told Brad to get in quickly. I always keep the keys inside the car, so in a matter of seconds, I had the engine going. I threw it into gear and we whipped around the cul-de-sac, then sped down the driveway and out onto the open road. Suddenly, there I was, Flying down the street in my sports car with my new cool homegirl laughing deep and loud in the bright wintry afternoon sun, it was exhilarating. Brat and I had broken out of the big house while we were out playing Black Thelma and Louise Escape from Alcatraz was not playing so well back at the storybook manor. I understood that security was necessary, but why was it necessary for them all to be white with blue eyes and black guns? They were going berserk. Before we got the mile or so down the road to the Burger King, Brat's phone began to ring. I could hear JD yelling on the other end.
0: Yo, Brad. Going crazy. Brad laughed
1: into the phone and replied, I ain't driving Mariah's. But JD was clearly upset. This ain't funny. He said. Tommy is fucking out. He got everybody running around looking for y'all. They got guns out. Brad shot back. Dang. We just going to get french fries, JD. If Mariah wants french fries, we getting french fries. She abruptly slammed her phone shut and we proceeded to Burger King. For the 20 or so minutes while Brat and I sat in the car, eating those fries and cracking jokes, I reveled in the simple excitement of being young. I'll never forget it. Jermaine must have called every five minutes, begging us to come back. He went from being angry and annoyed, to being nervous, to being afraid. Brat was quickly realizing how serious our momentary escape had been. With every ring, she looked at me with increasing concern and sadness. We were really only a mile away, and people were panicking. She said something like, this ain't right. This is you, Mariah. Jermaine, Escape, we all here because of you. You done sold millions of records. Girl, you live in a palace. You have everything. If you can't be free to go to Burger King when you want, you ain't got nothing. You need to get out of there. This time, she wasn't laughing. If the brat, a 19-year-old female rapper from the West Side, is afraid for you, you know the situation has got to be dire, darling. When we pulled up to the property, there were more than 10 security personnel standing outside, preparing two large black SUVs to go on a the search. They stopped me before I could get up the driveway to the garage, as if I was a fugitive crossing the border. I was promptly whisked back into the house and back into the studio, back into my tower, my jail. White men killed his father and forced his mother into a mental health facility. Discrimination and racism filled his preteen years. As a teenager, an opportunity to relocate and start fresh living with his half-sister turns into a door that leads to prison. His time in prison changes his life forever. The man, Malcolm X. The book, The Autobiography of Malcolm X. Like a fool, I didn't leave the bar. I stayed there sitting, like a bigger fool, with my back to the door, thinking about West Indian Archie. Since that day, I have never sat with my back to a door, and I never will again. But it's a good thing I was then. I'm positive if I'd seen West Indian Archie come in, I'd have shot to kill. The next thing I knew, West Indian Archie was standing before me, cursing me, loud, his gun on me, He was really making his public point, floor showing for the people. He called me foul names, threatened me. Everyone, bartenders and customers sat or stood as they carved drinks in midair. The jukebox in the rear was going. I had never seen West Indian Archie high before. Not a whiskey high, I could tell it was something else. I knew the hustler's characteristic of keying up on dope to do a job. I was thinking, I'm going to kill Archie. I'm just going to wait until he turns around to get the drop on him. I could feel my own 32 resting against my ribs where it was tucked under my belt beneath my coat. West Indian Archie seemed to be reading my mind, quit cursing, and his words jarred me. You're thinking you're going to kill me first, Red, but I'm going to give you something to think about. I am 60. I'm an old man. I've been to Sing Sing. My life is over, you're a young man. Kill me, you're lost anyway. All you can do is go to prison. I've since thought that West Indian Archie may have been trying to scare me into running to save both his face and his life. It may be that's why he was high. No one knew that I hadn't killed anyone but no one who knew me, including myself, would doubt that I'd kill. I can't guess what might have happened, but under the cold, if West Indian Archie had gone out of the door after having humiliated me as he had, I'd have had to follow him out. We'd have shot it out in the street. But some friends of West Indian Archie moved up alongside him, quietly calling his name, Archie, Archie, and he let them put their hands on him, and they drew him aside. I watched them move him past where I was standing, glaring at me. They were working him back toward the rear. Then, taking my time, I got down off the stool. I dropped a bill on the bar for the bartender. Without looking back, I went out. I stood outside in full view of the bar with my hand in my pocket for perhaps five minutes. When West Indian Archie didn't come out, I left.
0: Love and Marriage Love and marriage. What do you do when your mom is a chicken head and your sisters are pigeons and you've discovered the man of your dreams, but he thinks you're ugly until he saves your sister from a life of harlotry and proposes his love for you after you turn down his first proposal, but have decided you love him? This is the question plaguing Elizabeth Bennett. The book is Pride and Prejudice. Oh, Mr. Bennet! You are wanted immediately! We are all in an uproar! You must come and make Lizzie marry Mr. Collins, for she vows she will not have him! And if you do not make haste, he will change his mind and not have her! Mr. Bennet raised his eyes from his book as she entered, and fixed them on her face with a calm unconcern, which was not in the least altered by her communication. I have not the pleasure of understanding you, said he, when she had finished her speech. Of what are you talking? Of Mr. Collins and Lizzie. Lizzie declares she will not have Mr. Collins and Mr. Collins begins to say that he will not have Lizzie. And what am I to do on this occasion? It seems a hopeless business. Speak to Lizzie about it yourself. Tell her that you insist upon her marrying him. Let her be called down. She shall hear my opinion. Mrs. Bennett rang the bell. And Miss Elizabeth was summoned to the library. "'Come here, my child,' cried her father as she appeared. "'I have sent for you an affair of importance. "'I understand that Mr. Collins has made you an offer of marriage. "'Is it true?' Elizabeth replied that it was. "'Very well. And this offer of marriage you have refused?' "'I have, sir.' "'Very well. We now come to the point. "'Your mother insists upon your accepting it. Is it not so, Mrs. Bennet?' "'Yes, or I will never see her again!' An unhappy alternative is before you, Elizabeth. From this day, you must be a stranger to one of your parents. Your mother will never see you again if you do not marry Mr. Collins, and I will never see you again if you do.
1: Tell me once and for all, are you engaged to him? Though Elizabeth would not for the mere purpose of obliging Lady Catherine have answered this question, she could not but say after a moment's deliberation, I am not. Lady Catherine seemed pleased. And will you promise me never to enter into such an engagement? I will make no promise of the kind. Miss Bennet, I am shocked and astonished. I expected to find a more reasonable young woman. But do not deceive yourself into a belief that I will ever recede. I shall not go away till you have given me the assurance I require. And I certainly never shall give it. I am not to be intimidated into anything so wholly unreasonable. Your ladyship wants Mr. Darcy to marry your daughter. But would my giving you the wished-for promise make their marriage at all more probable? Supposing him to be attached to me, would my refusing to accept his hand make him wish to bestow it on his cousin? Allow me to say, Lady Catherine, that the arguments with which you have supported this extraordinary application have been as frivolous as the application was ill-judged. You have widely mistaken my character, if you think I can be worked on by such persuasions as these. How far your nephew might
0: approve of your interference in his affairs, I cannot tell. But you have certainly no right to concern yourself in mine. Having abandoned her husband and son, one woman lives life one train ride at a time with her beautiful beau and new baby girl. But her decision to risk it all for love isn't without consequences. Will following her heart lead this woman to peace, misery, or the greatest happiness? The woman's name, Anna. The book, Anna Karenina.
1: And suddenly, remembering the man who was run over the day she first met Vronsky, she realized what she must do. With a quick light step, she went down the stairs that led from the water pump to the rails and stopped close to the passing train. She looked at the bottoms of the carriages, at the bolts and chains and the big cast iron wheels of the first carriage slowly rolling by and tried to estimate by the eye the midpoint between the front and back wheels and the moment when the middle would be in front of her. There, she said to herself, staring into the shadow of the carriage at the sand mixed with coal poured between the sleepers. There right in the middle, and I'll punish him and be rid of everybody and of myself. And just at the moment when the midpoint between the two wheels came even with her, she threw the red bag aside and, drawing her head down between her shoulders, fell on her hands under the carriage, and with a light movement, as if preparing to get up again at once, sank to her knees. And in that same instant, she was horrified at what she was doing. Where am I? What am I doing? Why? She wanted to rise to throw herself back, but something huge and implacable pushed at her head and dragged over her. "'Lord, forgive me for everything,' she said, feeling the impossibility of any struggle." A little music muttering to himself, was working over some iron, and the candle by the light of which she had been reading, the book filled with anxieties, deceptions, grief, and evil flared up brighter than ever, lit up for her all that had once been in darkness,
0: sputtered, grew dim, and went out forever. So she's, she was walking around the platform disgusted at everyone on the platform, mm-hmm. everyone in the world. When she visits Dolly, she's like, you're all actors. Kitty is smiling in my face, but Kitty knows her husband fell in love with me because I'm exceptional. <laughs> and so I hate Kitty, too. And I hate everyone. And everyone's just actors and no one's real. And I'm going to take my own life because that's going to prove to Vronsky that, you know, he had a good thing and he missed out. And I'll get the last word finally. And then she's on those tracks like, hold up. That's crazy. <laughs> But it's too late. Yeah, it's too late. Hide your kids. Hide
1: your wife. A young doctor allows his obsession with the duality of human nature to lead him down a path littered with lies, murder and destruction. His name is Dr. Henry Jekyll. The book is The Strange
0: Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Jekyll, cried Utterson with a loud voice. I demand to see you. He paused a moment, but there came no reply. I give you fair warning, our suspicions are aroused and I must and shall see you, he resumed. If not by fair means, then by foul. If not of your consent, then by brute force. Utterson, said the voice, for God's sake, have mercy. Ah, that's not Jekyll's voice. It's Hyde, cried Utterson, down with the door Poole. Poul swung the axe over his shoulder. The blow shook the building, and the red-bay's door leaped against the lock and hinges. A dismal screech, as of mere animal terror, rang from the cabinet. Up went the axe again, and again the panels crashed and the frame bounded. Four times the blow fell, but the wood was tough and the fittings were of excellent workmanship. And it was not until the fifth that the lock burst and the wreck of the door fell inwards on the carpet. The besiegers, appalled by their own riot and the stillness that had succeeded, stood back a little and peered in. There lay the cabinet before their eyes in the quiet lamplight, a good fire glowing and chattering on the hearth, the kettle singing its thin strain, a drawer or two open, papers neatly set forth on the business table, and nearer the fire, the things laid out for tea, the quietest room you would have said and but for the glazed presses full of chemicals, the most commonplace that night in London. Right in the middle there lay the body of a man sorely contorted and still twitching. They drew near on tiptoe, turned it on its back, and beheld the face of Edward Hyde. He was dressed in clothes far too large for him, clothes of the doctor's bigness. The cords of his face still moved with a semblance of life, but life was quite gone, and by the crushed file in the hand... In the strong smell of kernels that hung upon the air, Utterson knew that he was looking on the body of a self-destroyer. We have come too late, he said sternly. Whether to save or punish, Hyde has gone to his own account, and it only remains for us to find the body of your master. Two ugly folks find love in the countryside of northern England. Our dowdy damsel, however, soon finds her lackluster love is a liar. Will the hideousness he's hiding destroy their lives and her reputation? Or will our mush-faced maiden find the inner courage to walk away with her dignity intact? The Hot Mess Heroine? Jane Eyre. The book? Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. I am no better than the old lightning-struck chestnut tree in Thornfield Orchard, he remarked ere long. What right would that ruin have to bid a budding woodbine cover its decay with freshness you are no ruin sir no lightning struck tree you are green and vigorous plants will grow about your roots whether you ask them or not because they take delight in your bountiful shadow and as they grow they will lean toward you and wind round you because your strength offers them so safe a prop again he smiled i gave him comfort you speak of friends jane he asked yes of friends I answered rather hesitatingly, for I knew I meant more than friends, but could not tell what other word to employ. He helped me. Ah, Jane, but I want a wife. Do you, sir? Yes. Is it news to you? Of course. You said nothing about it before. Is it unwelcome news? That depends on circumstances, sir, and your choice, which you shall make for me, Jane. I will abide by your decision. Choose then, sir, her who loves you best. I will at least choose her I love best Jane will you marry me yes sir a poor blind man who you will have to lead about by the hand yes sir a crippled man 20 years older than you whom you will have to wait on yes sir truly truly Jane most truly sir oh my darling god bless you and reward you Mr. Rochester if ever I did a good deed in my life if ever I thought a good thought if ever I prayed a sincere and blameless prayer If ever I wished a righteous wish, I am rewarded now. To be your wife is for me to be as happy as I can be on earth. Many receive advice, only the wise profit from it. But with all of our futures uncertain, how can we know if following good advice will rob us of a lifetime of happiness? And can those who wish us well lead us to the arms of evil? (laughs) These are the questions one 27-year-old spinster must ask as she navigates the waters of love. The spinster, Anne Elliot. The book, Persuasion by Jane Austen. There was too much wind to make the high part of the new car pleasant for the ladies,
1: and they agreed to get down the steps to the lower. And all were contented to pass quietly and carefully down the steep flight, excepting Louisa. She must be jumped down them by Captain Wentworth. In all their walks, he had had to jump her from the stiles. The sensation was delightful to her. The hardness of the pavement for her feet made him less willing upon the present occasion. He did it, however. She was safely down and instantly, to show her enjoyment, ran up the steps to be jumped down again. He advised her against it, thought the jar too great, but no, he reasoned (laughs) and talked in vain. She smiled and said, I am determined I will. He put out his hands. She was to precipitate by half a second. She fell on the pavement on the lower cop and was taken up lifeless. There was no wound, no blood, no visible bruise, but her eyes were closed. She breathed not. Her face was like death. Cause she wasn't. She thought it was a game. She was like, she's got this renewed spirit. He encouraged her to just like, oh, I like your personality. she's um, like, I'm gonna jump um, down you and understand.
0: this man <laughs> like my personality.
1: <laughs> okay, girl. Yes. The person who kills is the person who has no discipline. No restraint, and who has purchased his power in the form of a Saturday night special. And that is the kind of power that science fosters and permits. And that is why you think that to build a place like this is simple. Ian Malcolm. The book, Jurassic Park.
0: was a shrill metallic scrape as claws raked the roof of the car tim's heart was pounding in his chest he couldn't see anything out of the windows on the right side except pebbled leathery flesh the tyrannosaur was leaning against the car which rocked back and forth with each breath the springs and metal creaking loudly lex groaned again Tim put down the radio and started to crawl over into the front seat. The tyrannosaur roared and the metal roof dented downward. Tim felt a sharp pain in his head and tumbled to the floor onto the transmission hump. He found himself lying alongside Lex and he was shocked to see that the whole side of her head was covered in blood. She looked unconscious. There was another jolting impact and pieces of glass fell all around him. Tim felt rain. He looked up and saw that the front windshield had broken out. There was just a jagged rim of glass and beyond the big head of the dinosaur looking down at him.
1: Stumbling over tree roots in the darkness, clawing his way past dripping branches, he saw the jeep ahead, and the lights shining around the vertical wall of the barrier made him feel better. In a moment, he'd be in the car, and then he'd get the heck out of here. He scrambled around the barrier, and then he froze. The animal was already there. But it wasn't close. The dinosaur stood 40 feet away, at the edge of the illumination from the headlamps, Nedry hadn't taken the tour, so he hadn't seen the different types of dinosaurs, but this one was strange-looking. The 10-foot-tall body was yellow with black spots, and along the head ran a pair of red V-shaped crests. The dinosaur didn't move, but again gave its soft, hooting cry. Nedry waited to see if it would attack. It didn't. Perhaps the headlights from the jeep frightened it, forcing it to keep its distance like a fire. The dinosaur stared at him and then snapped his neck in a single swift motion. Nedry felt something smack wetly against his chest. He looked down and saw a dripping glob of foam on his rain-soaked shirt. He touched it curiously, not comprehending it was spit. The dinosaur had spit on him. It was creepy, he thought, He looked back at the dinosaur and saw the head snap again and immediately felt another wet smack against his neck just above the shirt collar he wiped it away with his hand it was disgusting but the skin of his neck was already starting to tingle and burn and his hand was tingling too it was almost like he had been touched with acid Nedry opened the car door glancing back at the dinosaur to make sure it wasn't going to attack and felt a sudden excruciating pain in his eyes, stabbing like spikes into the back of his skull. And he squeezed his eyes shut and gasped with the intensity of it and threw up his hands to cover his eyes and felt the slippery foam trickling down both sides of his nose. Spit. The dinosaur has spit in his eyes. Even as he realized it, the pain overwhelmed him and he dropped to his knees, disoriented, wheezing. He collapsed onto his side, his cheek pressed to the wet ground, his breath coming in thin whistles through the constant, ever screaming pain that caused flashing spots of light to appear behind his tightly shut eyelids. The earth shook beneath him and Nedry knew the dinosaur was moving. He could hear its soft, hooting cry. And despite the pain, he forced his eyes open and still he saw nothing but flashing spots against black. Slowly, the realization came to him. He was blind. The hooting was louder as Nedry scrambled to his feet and staggered back against the side panel of the car as a wave of nausea and dizziness swept over him. The dinosaur was close now. He could feel it coming close. He was dimly aware of its snorting breath, but he couldn't see. He couldn't see anything. His terror was extreme. He stretched out his hands, waving them wildly in the air to ward off the attack he knew was coming. And then there was a new, searing pain, like a fiery knife in his belly. And Nedri stumbled, reaching blindly down to touch the ragged edge of his shirt and then a thick, slippery mass that was surprisingly warm. And with horror, he suddenly knew he was holding his own intestines in his hands. The dinosaur had tore him open. His guts had fallen out. Nedry fell to the ground and landed on something scaly and cold. It was the animal's foot. And then there was new pain on both sides of his head. The pain grew worse. And as he was lifted to his feet, he knew the dinosaur had his head in its jaws. And the horror of that realization was followed by a final wish, that it would all be ended
0: soon. The point is, you are alive when they start to eat you.
1: Lit Society is brought to you by me, Alexis Anaria, and Kari Herrera. Support the the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us, because we love you too. We do. We do. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit litsocietypod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and... To sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read Read something. something. Just something, okay? Read something. (laughs)